0: So we're continuing the series that we started last week that's all about the church. Now if you're visiting with us this morning, maybe you're coming because of a graduation that happened yesterday, Normally, what we're going to be doing when you come here, we're normally going to be going through a specific passage, part of a book of the Bible, and we go verse by verse through books of the Bible. We think that that's the best way, that the normal way that we want to be uh, spending time preaching through God's Word to go through, not just based on our ideas, on what we want to say, but be, to be going through God's Word and the topics that He brings up. But... At times, it is necessary for us to look at where we are as a church and to address different topics that we think are necessary for us to be following God's purpose and design for our church. Right now, we're kind of taking a break. We've been going through the Gospel of John. We're taking a break right now to go and look at what is the church. How does the church function what are we supposed to be doing last week we looked at the foundational principles and the question that we were asking is what is the church and and looking at those things it wasn't a a, we didn't look at a definition of the church per se we looked at different principles that these are things that need to be true about the church And this is what we had, the statement that we worked from. The church is a people instituted according to God's will, saved through Christ's work, set apart for God's worship, mutually edified through his word, sent to shine in this world, all for God's glory. Now, I'm not expecting you to have that memorized. You have it on your handout. But as we progress through the different weeks, these are all principles that we want to be going back to. We need to recognize that the church is a people. And we talked about this last week. That's a redundant statement. The church being a people, when you look at that, when the first church saw what the name of the church, the ecclesia, that is the people, the assembly. But for us nowadays, that's not something that we recognize. Now the church is a place. Now the church is an organization. Now the church is an institution. It's all these other things, and there's elements of those that are true, but primarily the church is a people. But what people? Well, it's God's people. They are instituted according to God's will. How are they a people, though? Because we know the condition of man is is corruption. We know the character of God is holiness. So how are we a people? Well, because we are saved through Christ's work. Both of those first two principles are how we are a church. The rest of the principles are all why we are a church. We're set apart for God's worship as individuals. We're mutually edified through this world as a congregation. We are sent to shine in this world as a mission. All for God's glory. So as we go through the series, we're going to keep on going back to that because there are different topics that we want to address. Now, that's the foundation. Foundations are hugely important. Talk to any person that does construction and they're going to tell you how important the foundation is. But you don't stop at the foundation. Uh, some of you have been uh, enjoying the process of observing the Alfreds as they've been building their house. If you don't know Rob and uh I think they're some of the longest mem- time members. I don't know how you want to call that, longest tenured members. I'm not really sure, but they've been members here for a long time. Uh, Rob's one of our, our deacons here, and they've been building their home, and every couple weeks or every week, Rob will do an update video of the progress of the house, and it was so exciting when he did that video when the foundation was done. The concrete was in place. You could see where this house was going to go. Before it was just empty land. Now you could see this is the foundation of this future building. But could you imagine if the next week after we saw that, after everyone liked it and put the little hearts on the Facebook page, if he got back on and he said, guys, I love this foundation so much, I think we're going to stop right here. Like, this is good. Like, I don't, I don't want to cover it up. Let's just stay right here. The foundation is enough. Celinda, would that have been enough for you? No. <laughs> no. The foundation is vital. But you don't stop at the foundation. The goal is to then build upon that foundation. One of the passages we looked at a lot last week was 1 Peter chapter 2. And this is what it says starting in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The rest of the passage is going to go back and talk about that living stone and that living stone is jesus it's the stone that was rejected but that god established as the cornerstone it's the foundation that determines the rest of the building but do we stop there do we come to jesus as the foundation and stop no what it says you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house it's an ongoing process. So this series, where we've gone to the foundation, the foundational principles, now we're looking at, okay, where does this building need work? Last week, I, I told you that the four areas that both Pastor Billy and myself feel like that our church needs to focus on, have a little more emphasis. The first is church membership. W- what is church membership? How is church membership done? Is it necessary? Second, then, church discipleship and discipline. How is the church protected? How do we go about doing this? Third, we wanted to look at the structure of the the pastors. How how do pastors function here? What what does the Bible present as how the elders should happen, the, the eldership in the church? Fourth, the role of church deacons so those were the four areas that we wanted to talk about but we needed to start at the foundation this morning we're going to talk about church membership who is the church why is church membership so important remember the church is a people how can the church be built up as a people if we don't know who the church is now, out of all the topics, this is the one that's probably a, the most confusing when we're talking about it. This is the one that a lot of baggage comes along when we're talking about it. We talked about this last week, that we don't, want, we don't build our church around practicality. We don't build our church about, around personal preferences. We don't build our church around past patterns. Those things can be good, but that's not the first thing that we do. Well, when we're talking about church membership, all of those things seem to come right up in the front. The question that a lot of us have with church membership, the one that I hear the most when I talk to people, is, is it biblical? Where is it in the Bible? Show me the chapter and verse that says, I need to be a member the way you're defining membership. I've never seen two churches do membership the same so the bible just must not be as clear as you think it is about membership membership is something that the western church created membership is a means for pastors to guarantee money and to abuse with authority the people who are members in their church i'm not so sure that church membership is actually biblical Or maybe you're okay with it being biblical, but you're just not sure it's necessary. Marriage is biblical, but marriage isn't necessary for everyone. I can attend, worship, hear messages, give, all without being a member. Why would it be necessary for me? I have everything I need spiritually without being a member i have the word of god i have the holy spirit i have my family why would i need membership i really don't care about voting or volunteering so i don't think it's for me it's not necessary for salvation so why is it necessary for sanctification maybe membership is for some but not for others membership will just slow me down i'm already doing what god asked me to do if i'm part of the universal church why is it so important for me to be part of your church the other thing that we then question is is it good how many people do we talk to who were abused by church membership in the past How many people see church membership as just a legalistic set of rules that are extra-biblical and oppressive? How many of us see church membership just a group of hypocrites, that there is no difference between those who are members and those who are not? In fact, some of the people who are still members we would see as having a worse testimony than those who are not. How many of us see that church membership is just a click that keeps the self-righteous feeling self-righteous and separated from the world that's fallen who needs them? When we talk about church membership, we have these questions. Is it biblical? Is it necessary? Is it good? And While it's not always done right and there is much confusion regarding church membership, here's my argument for this morning. Church membership is biblical, it is necessary, and it is good for the individual, for the body, and for the world. That's that's kind of the structure that we're going to go through. We're going to ask those three questions. Is it it biblical? Is it necessary? Is it good? And each one of those times that we're doing those questions, we're going to look in a different way. First, we're going to start by looking at the individual. Then we're going to look at the body, the congregation, Then we're going to look at the world. And we're going to see that it is biblical, it is necessary, it is good in each of those areas. So let's start with the personal argument. Is it biblical? Everything that we're going to start from here is a matter of identity. Who we are determines what we do. We need to start there. Who we are determines what we do. That's where our foundational statement begins. Who we are according to God's will. Who we are in the sense that we are saved through Christ's work. That's where we start, and then we go to what we do. So who are we? Well, in Christ, I am a new person. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 19 says there, this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How does this happen? These, both of these verses talk about this new identity that we are a new person in Christ. But how does this happen? It's through the work of Christ. Look at what Christ did. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This new identity is all because of the work of Christ. So how do we receive this new identity? Well, we've been going through the Gospel of John, and John 1.12 says, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We are saved by grace alone, through Christ alone, by faith alone. The result then is that we become, he gives us the right to become children of God. What's the metaphor that that John is using when he calls us children of God? A family. What do we know about families? Well, hopefully you know who your family is. I am married to my wife. I know who she is. I know who my children are. They are part of my family. This is our foundation, who our identity is. Everything we are goes back to our foundation in Christ. But we don't stop at that foundation. What would happen if if in Christianity we think, okay, well, I start at salvation, that's the gospel, I receive that, but then I just stop. Like, I don't need to move past Jesus. Jesus is everything, Jesus is my foundation, I'm going to stop there. Now, truthfully, when we say we, we don't stop at the foundation, we don't, we're not saying that we get past the foundation, in the sense that, you know what, when the building's done, and we've got the building looking good, we should bring the excavator back and remove the foundation. Because the building's good, right? Like, it's all under the ground, no one's going to see it, who cares? You can't do that. The foundation is always necessary, but you don't stop there. So, what's the problem then with just stopping at our salvation? The problem is that God has a process of sanctification. He wants our practice, how we walk, to match our position. Our position is that we are a new person. Does our practice match that? I think that all of us in Christ would admit that the problem is that we don't always match that. We struggle with the flesh. We don't walk according to our new identity. We're not alone in that. Paul talked about this and he says, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. The flesh is still in us. But here's the good news. One day that work is made complete. We look forward to glorification. We look forward to Christ who began the good work will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So we have salvation glorification but still there is the purpose for right now sanctification to become more and more like the person jesus already says we are but how does the church and church membership come into this how does the church link up with this new identity this personal identity God tasked the local church to affirm and oversee the Christian's new identity. God instituted the church. That was our first principle. It was according to his will. It is for his purpose, his design. And part of that purpose is that the church affirms and oversees that new identity. In Christ, we are a new person, but we are still on this earth. We are still struggling with the flesh. God gives authority to the local church to oversee that identity here on earth. Before we move on, I I do need to just address something that sometimes gets us a little confused when we're talking about church membership. Within the the, the Bible, uh, the church is talked about in two different ways. One of the ways the church is talked about is the universal church. The universal church is a church of all New Testament believers. It is not limited to place or time. All believers, all Christians, are part of this universal church. I am part of the same church as the Apostle Paul. I am part of the same church as persecuted Christians in the Middle East. We are all part of the universal church church. How are we part of that? We are part of that through Christ. When we were saved, we were brought into his body. We were guaranteed membership in the universal church. However, the majority of the time in which the Bible talks about the church, it's talking about the local church. Now, the local church is limited by place and time. We are members of the local church with people who are in the same place at the same time. People who have passed away are no longer members of this local church. They're still members of the universal church, but not the local church. Now this is where the the greater... Informs the lesser. Because part of our argument is that, well, wait a second, if I'm part of Christ's church, the universal church, who cares about the local church? I'm part of something greater and better. But here's the problem with that. If we are willing to be part of the universal church, but we refuse to be identified with the church of our place and time, that's an issue. Because God has a purpose for the church right now. And we've already seen that part of that purpose is to affirm and oversee so why would the affirmation of our identity be important well because we are so often wrong how many people in this world think that they are part of the body of christ but are wrong does that exist has that ever happened are there people here who thought that they were part of the body of christ and then realize with time, wait a second, I had that wrong. All the time. All the time when we bring people into membership, part of their testimony is, I thought I was a Christian because I did these things, because my church told me I was, but I wasn't. Praise God that someone someone showed to them that they weren't part of the body of Christ, but how often do people go to hell thinking that they're truly believers and part of the body of Christ? All the time. So would it be important for God to give a tool for some way for them to be evaluated to say, wait a second, you're claiming an identity that's not true. You're claiming something that you don't have. Absolutely. And that's where the local church comes in. The the illustration, I, I read this in a book and I, I so appreciate it, is the illustration of an embassy, that the local church is an embassy. So Uh, My children technically are all, have Brazilian citizenship, Uh, which is really funny because uh, one of the times my brother, who's a lead pastor in Brazil, married a Brazilian, has Brazilian kids, um, but he was born in the States, so he's not a Brazilian. And so my son Jack went up to to my brother David and is like, you know I'm more Brazilian than you, right? (laughs) Which is great. (laughs) But two of my kids have passports to demonstrate that they're Brazilian. My other two children don't. Now, my other two children, are they Brazilian? Yes. But that, they haven't received that affirmation. When we go to the embassy, it's not the embassy that makes us a citizen. We are citizens of the kingdom of God through Christ. But it is that embassy that gives you the right to say, hey, that affirms that. That. That's the role of the church. And it's so important because there are people who are claiming something that's not reality. So the question then is how does this happen? Well, let's trace out this, this line of, of our identity. At the moment of salvation, we are given a new identity. What then are we supposed to do regarding that new identity? We publicly profess it. Through what? Through baptism. Now, does baptism give you that new identity? No. Baptism is an outward profession, an outward demonstration of an inward reality. Our water baptism is a demonstration of the spirit baptism that happened at salvation. So we have a new identity at salvation. We have a profession of new identity in baptism. That should look then as an overseeing, an affirmation of that new identity through membership. I think one of the tragedies that we so often do is that we affirm people's faith through baptism, but we don't protect that new identity through membership what are you doing in that moment of baptism you are publicly taking off the enemy's uniform and putting on and identifying yourself i am now part of this people why would we affirm someone's faith by doing that but then not also give them the protection that comes along with the body To put them out in enemy territory to demonstrate them, hey, that guy that you thought on your team, no, he's on our team. He's wearing our uniform, but we're not going to stand with him. We're just going to leave him there by himself. No, that baptism should then look like membership in the church. Why? Because here's the other element. When someone is baptized in a church, are they going to look back at that as a way of affirming that they truly have a new identity? How many people go and say, well, why are you a Christian? Well, I mean, Pastor Stephen baptized me when I was 13 years old, so I think I'm good. The problem is, do we sometimes baptize people that shouldn't be baptized? Yeah, we're human. We make mistakes. Can we remove baptism? Not really, really. And so a person could go through years going and using that one thing as an affirmation that's not genuine. So what if the church had another way of removing affirmation? We do. It's church discipline, which we're gonna talk about next week. The process of church discipline is the process in which we would say, listen, we did affirm this because of, of what we saw, but we are not seeing evidence as of this. There's a good chance that you're a wolf in sheep's clothing, that you're a goat that has come into the fold. This is a problem. We're going to remove this. That's a protection not just for us, but for them. Matthew 28 tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Have you ever asked the question, why baptism? Why we do it? Why is it necessary? Part of it is the accountability for the believer. I am professing this, but it's an identifier for the church. I think often we think first of baptism as something that is important for the world. But here's the thing. A lot of times the world has no idea that someone was baptized. Where do we baptize people? In the church. Who baptizes people? Members of the church the important person people for baptism is the church it's for us to say oh wait we're seeing this we're seeing what you're claiming and we would affirm this with you acts 241 says that so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3000 souls what were they added to the church All of this passage of Acts 2 is all talking about this beginning of the church. They were baptized and added to the church. It's the responsibility of the church to affirm the salvation of believers. Now, this is where we sometimes come in and say, well, what does that look like? Because baptism looks different in so many different places. Sure. What is necessary for us to be confident before we affirm their salvation in the covenantal relationship of membership? That's going to look different in different places. The the substance is that we are affirming. Now, how we do that is going to be different. If you're in a, a culture of persecution and that person has already abandoned everything in order to be part of the church, if that person has already lost everything in order to profess Christ, you don't have to go through the same steps to see, wait, do you really mean this? As you do for a culture where, hey, it's convenient to be part of the church. A lot of my clients go to that church. A lot of my friends are part of that church. The church uh, gives me the opportunity to be part of kind of a club or a clique. Well, in those scenarios, we want to say, wait a second, are you doing this because of convenience or are you doing this because of a new identity? So in that process, yes, does membership look different in different cultures? Sure, but it's the process of what do we think is necessary for us to understand and affirm your salvation. The local church affirms the Christian's new identity, but the church also oversees the Christian's new identity. We see in both Matthew 16 and Matthew 18 that authority is given to the church. We're not going to go real deep in this, but in Matthew 16, uh, Jesus talks to Peter and says, I will uh, build my church, and he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In Matthew 18, he then gives that permission to the body. He says that the church, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Authority is given to the church. Who oversees the identity of Christians on this earth? The church does. This is what we're going to be talking about more next week in both the regards to discipleship and discipline but we see that for us as a personal identity, that personal element, the individual element, that we are called to submit. Hebrews 13:17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. They are overseeing your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So is church membership biblical? For the individual, yes. How are you going to do all of these things? How are you going to be affirmed? How are you going to be overseen if no one knows who you are? If the church doesn't know who you are, that you have this new identity, how can they oversee that? That's going to look different, different places. For us here, for this culture where it's so easy to be here one week, not another week, For it's so easy to do a lot of things, for us that looks like formal membership where we go through a process to the point where we say, yes, I have seen this testimony. It looks like the process of what we did last week in our membership meeting where we had six individuals give their testimony. This is what Christ did in my life. This is how I professed it in baptism. This is who I want to oversee. This is the covenant I'm making with you. The question then is, is it necessary? It depends on how you're asking that question. Is it necessary for salvation? No. Church membership in a local body is not necessary for salvation. That being said, there are many things in the New Testament that are not necessary for salvation and yet they are still required. The question of someone who has been baptized in the Spirit but then refuses to be baptized within the church to profess that, we would ask, wait, do you really have a new identity? We are not saved by works and yet James says that a faith without works is dead. And so we would look at that and say, look, the, the, the lack of evidence would cause us to question that a person who is a member of the universal body but refuses to be identified with the local body, we would question, wait, is this genuine? So it is necessary. It's necessary not for salvation, but for obedience. I think the question, though, that we ask for as individuals, though, the emotional one, is it good? Yes. What of those who think they are Christians but aren't? Is it good for there to be a church that is there to put a barrier and say, wait a second, you're believing something that's not true. Is that good for them? Yes. Is it good knowing my propensity to, to go away from God as we sing in the song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, knowing who I am, is it good for me to submit to the body so that they can oversee me? Yes. How many times that I have had temptations, how many times where I have had struggles where members of the body have come alongside of me who have helped oversee me, how many times where I have submitted to Pastor Billy, to Pastor Don, who and said, help me in this. It's good. It affirms a reality. It oversees that identity. So let's move on now and look at we've looked at the personal the individual argument now let's look at the congregational argument see our identity is not just that in christ we are a new person it's also that in christ i am part of a new people throughout scripture we see this pattern where god calls individuals in order to establish or to be part of a people Adam and Eve and Noah were all given the same command, go forth, fill, and multiply the earth. Adam and Eve, they were supposed to do that in the, of a people full of the image of God. Noah was a man who was righteous. He was supposed to go and fill the earth with other people who were righteous. Abraham, when he was called, God called him and said, I will make of you a great nation. Ruth, when she came and said to, to Naomi, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. All of these things were individuals, but it was going to a people. We see the same thing with the church. Yes, the church is created of individual members. Rebecca read the passage earlier from 1 Corinthians 12. We are individually members of one body. Yes, you come to Christ as an individual, but we are not meant to have a faith that is individualistic. We're a people. And the name of that people is the church. 1 Peter 2 9 through 10 is all about this people. You are a chosen race, plural. A royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous once you were not a people but now you are God's people how many of those things are all about individuals none of them we're not just a new person we are a new people god instituted the local church as the people the christian is accountable to and responsible for the church the local body is both the people i am accountable to and responsible for we are part of something greater Ephesians 5 says that we are to address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. These are the people we are accountable to. We submit to them. Now what people though do we submit to? Is it anyone that comes up and says, oh, I'm a Christian, submit to me? No. Is it any pastor who says, oh, I was ordained once, submit to me? No. It's the people where our body has affirmed their identity. It's the people we've entered into a covenantal relationship so that they would be overseen. Those are the people we are accountable to. The authority for church discipline is not given to pastors. The authority for church discipline is given to the body. Matthew 18 says, take it to the church. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it tells the church to have nothing more to do with someone. That authority is given to the church. We are accountable to that body. But we're also responsible for them. Galatians 6, 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. James 5, 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you you have gained your brother. If he doesn't listen to you, take it to the church. We have a responsibility for one another. We also have responsibilities, though, to encourage one another. In Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, it says, uh, Since we have confidence to enter, and and look at all the plural things, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through the flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house uh, of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure heart. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us consider how to stir up one another for love and good works. Let us meet together. Let us encourage one another. If you want to just do a study sometime, just look up and you can do this on your phone, on in a Bible app. Just look up the words one another. The amount of things that are given for the church to do is this is what we are responsible for. We are responsible for one another. How do we do that if we don't know who one another is? How do we accomplish these things if we don't know the people we're responsible for? Romans 16, 17 says, I appeal to you, brothers, watch to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. We are responsible for protecting true doctrine. Do Am I accountable for that? Does, does Paul in the pastoral epistles, tell them to hold firm, to sound doctrine? Sure, I'm responsible for that. Do I have to give an account for that? Absolutely. But we are responsible for that. In Galatians, Paul says, I'm surprised at the speed in which you have abandoned the true word that I gave you. In Timothy, they will accumulate for themselves people who tickle their ears. Who? The congregation. This is a responsibility that we all have have so is it necessary yes every christian needs to be part of the body it's not just the strong ones it's not just the weak ones we all need to be part of the body every member is indispensable to the body We read this earlier, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, starting verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Then jumping down to verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. If you think, well, no, this just isn't for me. No, we need you. Where every single part joins together so that every ligament, every joint is brought together so that it grows up with a growth that comes from God. How do we do that? We link up with one another. We identify one another. We know who one another is. Is it good though? Yes. Within the church, we bear one another's burdens. Within the church, we suffer together, we rejoice together, we live together. Within the body, we know who we are accountable to and responsible for. We exhort, encourage, rebuke, in love. Our, one of our principles that we talked about last week is that the, the church is a people mutually edified through the word of God. This is building us up. This is good. We go so much further together. It's better together. Now let's look at the third reason why church membership is something that we should strive for. It's the missional argument. See, in Christ we are not only a new person. In Christ not only are we part of a new people. In Christ we have a new mission The overall mission of that is to glorify God but God is the one who established the church and so we glorify him by being part of what he established but the other part of that mission is to for the world We are saved for a purpose We are saved to go and make disciples Here's the reality. That job is too big for any one of us. That job is far beyond us. But God didn't ask us to do it alone. God gave us the mission, but he also gave us the method. He gives us the church. God established the local church to visually represent and clearly proclaim his message in this fallen world. We are to visually represent and clearly proclaim his message in this fallen world. Some of the only theology that the world will ever see is the body of Christ, the church. How are we representing Christ? When the Bible says that you are ambassadors for Christ, how are we representing him? Is it visually clear are we representing him or, or is it, well, I don't really know who that church is. I mean, there's a lot of people there, but I have no idea who is and who isn't part of the church. Half of the musicians I think are hired and, and they're just from out, out of place. They're not Christians. I know some of them. I know some of the people that do some of these things. That's not what we want. We want to visually represent the power of God to transform. John 13 verse 34 and 35 says a new command I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another who is that one another other believers love one another what's the result by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another We need to visually represent the power of God's word, the power of the gospel. How will they know us? By our love for one another. The church is meant to be a compelling community. When the world looks at the church, it should be the gospel made visible. But when the church doesn't even know who the church is, how will the world be able to see it clearly? If we're not clear on who the church is, how are they going to understand what's happening? God is so clear throughout all of Scripture. These are my people. These are not my people. And I understand that it's a good growth model to blur that line, to make it a little bit more inclusive. But that's not actually a good growth model. When the goal is to have people be redeemed and go to heaven to be with their Lord and Savior. Attendance is not our goal. There's lots of ways that we could boost our attendance. But the goal is to be clear. These are people who have been redeemed. These are people who are, have not. So that people can see, oh, that's the evidence. 1 Corinthians 5, 1-2 says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Why? It's not clear that God's done anything in you. There's no transformation that's evident. You're not demonstrating the power of God. You're not visually representing what it means to be the body of Christ. Have nothing to do with that. We guard the testimony of the church. We want to visually visually represent Christ by being his body. But we also want to clearly proclaim his message. In Jude, uh, verse 3, it says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Fight for the faith. Fight for the true gospel. Why? For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. The church has to have walls. Please understand, I'm not saying the church has to have walls in the sense that we remove ourselves from the world, that we hide from the world. No, but the world has to have, the church has to have walls as far as these are God's people, these aren't. You're welcomed in, but there's a way in. It is through the door that is Christ. That's the only way to come in. But when people creep in, and we... Let it go because we have no structure, no way of defining who is and who isn't. It's confusing. The message is tarnished. We need to clearly proclaim his message so that the message is not perverted. Someone is proclaiming a different message for the world. uh, If someone is proclaiming a different message for the world's sake, we do not affirm them. We remove them. We deny false teaching in our midst. We don't let it go unnoticed. We contend for the faith. faith. We fight for the clarity of the gospel. So is it necessary for the world's sake that membership is clear? Yes. Because we want to present something that's clear to them. Is it good? Absolutely. We're not alone in this mission. How many of you, as we've been going through the gospel challenge the last year, were encouraged in hearing of other brothers and sisters in the process in which they were doing? Encouraged by the prayers of other brothers and sisters and saying, hey, I'm praying that God gives you an opportunity to share your faith with someone else. This is a joint mission. There's many other arguments of uh, why we do church membership, but, but the overall thing is that it is biblical it's necessary it's good not just for the individual not just for the congregation but also for the world it's all of those things next week we're going to be talking more about how we do some of those things the worship team can come up now because we are looking to have here at our church meaningful membership it's not just about voting it's not just about volunteering. We want to affirm the identity that people are claiming to have. We want to oversee that identity so that they can be grown up. We want to be accountable to the body as a people. We want to be responsible for the body as a people to encourage them. For the world, we want to visually represent the power of God's word. We want to clearly proclaim that truth and those things happen within the church the church is the means the church is the gift of god that he has given in order to accomplish these things who we are we are a people we are a person a new person we are a people we have a mission determines what we do and god has given us the church for that end Why don't we stand and sing this is a song that Josiah taught us last week that calls us to come as the people of God.